Welcome to the podcast for Centerpoint Church. Located in the heart of Concord, New Hampshire, Centerpoint is all about living and sharing a life-changing relationship with Jesus. The message today is a part of that journey, and we are glad to have you join us. So, so good. Uh, again, if you're pretty new here and kind of how does the system work, you register your kids in the commons before you come in here. They'll hang out with you for a little bit and then they'll go have an amazing time with Miss Jess and the team uh, upstairs for the rest of the service. All right, so that's how that works. And if you're in here and you've got littles, uh, you know, preschool age kids, you can certainly keep them with you. That's totally fine. Uh, but then we've also got some great folks over here in our downtown area that will take care of them. So let us serve you that way, however feels best to you. All right. So uh, let me do a little bit of family table talk here before we jump into our message. All right. So uh, several weeks ago, uh, our membership affirmed a nominating committee. It's just part of the way that our our church functions according to our church constitution. And they are commissioned uh, by the membership to uh, appoint or to nominate rather, to nominate uh, elders and officers in the life of our church. And so uh, again, the membership uh, affirmed that group uh, as a group uh, several weeks ago. Uh, in the meantime, one of the members, uh, Leah, has decided that, that she can't accept that appointment uh, by the membership, and so she's had to t- tap out of that. And so then the elders are trying to figure out what's, what's the best way to move forward, and so kind of searching through the Constitution. And while, the, honestly, the Constitution doesn't say anything specifically about the nominating committee post-membership vote, uh, it does talk about how the elders respond to that in other situations where somebody has been seated uh, into an office by a membership vote. And so uh, kind of uh, taking that into account, the elders, uh, the the lay elders and and I uh, decided that we would follow that part of the constitution as best as we understood it. And we want to appoint somebody to sit in that seat to the office of nominating committee. All right. And so we're going to fill that seat that way. Uh, Just this last week, uh, Amy Landry has accepted that uh, appointment uh, by the elders and is going to be able to take take the seat so that we are able to move forward with the constitutionally mandated seven members of the nominating committee. All right, there's three elders and four members at large there. Again, for just kind of keeping everything out there for everybody to be aware of, of how that's going on. All right, so that part is taking place. And so the nominating committee is actually going to be meeting a little bit later this morning, and they're beginning their work together uh, as, as a team to serve us as a church. And one of the things that you can do <laughs> to not notice anything out of the ordinary... One of the things that you can do that will serve them really well in this process is uh, there might be some people for the various positions that you would like to see um, kind of considered by the nominating committee. And so there is a recommendation form. We call it a confidential recommendation form that you can use. We've got some paper copies in the foyer there. And these forms can be used by you to kind of give some names and kind of what you see in that person as to why they would fit in that role. Then that will get turned into the nominating committee. You can put it in the uh, office. There's a folder there in the the main office or you can fold it and hand it to a staff person uh, or one of our connection team. They'd be happy to get that there for you. 
I don't think there's enough room to put it into the offering box, so we're not going to take it that way. But we'll receive your recommendations and make sure those get to the nominating committee. And then they will take it from there and reach out to those who have been recommended. There's questionnaires to fill out, and, and the process begins. But this is a part for you as the church family, member or not, to be able to engage in this process. So you can serve the nominating committee well by turning in those recommendations. All right? None of you were distracted by the lights and you heard everything I said. Nominating or recommendation forms in the foyer. Feel free to grab that. I know Dave sent that out a couple weeks ago uh, via email. Also, we'll probably do that again just to make sure you've got that in your inbox waiting for you. So you can do that. But do it in the next week or two, if you would. Like, don't lollygag and lollygag and take a couple months. All right, get get right on that. All right. So that's our family business. Tech team, you guys are awesome. You guys really are. Week in, week out, we got a group of people who love hiding behind the booth where nobody can see them. Uh, They prefer to serve there, but they serve us spectacularly. Um, uh, Those of you who join us online, you know, like you are dependent on them doing what they do and they do it so incredibly well. So thank you, tech team, for all you do to serve us as a church. Uh, We're better because of you. So thank you. Let's just pause and pray here as we get ready to jump into our message. All right. Father, uh, you are good, you are beautiful, you are kind, you are love, you are holy and righteous and just. We worship you because you are worthy of worship. And even now, as we look into your word, this is an act of, of worship. It's, a, it's an act where we submit ourselves to you. And so we do that here knowing full well that you speak through your word, empowered by your spirit. So speak to us today. Stir in us. Uh, Show us what you want us to see. We open ourselves up to you to do with as you see fit in these moments. So Father, would you, by the power of your spirit, give us eyes to see what we don't naturally see? Would you, by the power of your spirit, give us ears to hear what we don't naturally hear? And would you give us hearts that are soft because we are naturally stubborn, that we might be changed by what you do in us through your word and your spirit today. We pray these things knowing that it is for our good and your glory that you will do your work here today. Amen. Amen. So let's meander over to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Got to tell you, it's kind of a quirky little story we're going to be looking at here today. Uh, And so I'm going to read it out loud here. You read along in your Bible on the screen, kind of however you're going to do that on your phone. Uh, And then um, then we're going to talk about it a little bit. And I'd love to hear some of the things that stand out for you. All right. So I'll ask that question after we're done reading here. So I'm going to begin reading at verse 7. So Acts chapter 20, beginning at uh, verse 7. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where they were meeting. And seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. As Paul talked on and on. I hear your giggles. 
When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down and threw himself on the young man and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. And then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. And the people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. It's a quirky little story, isn't it? You know, as you heard me read this, as, as you read it, what are some things that st- stand out to you? What are you noticing as we look at this together? What do you got? What are you noticing? Breaking bread. Say a little bit more about that, Tim. Yeah, they're, they're breaking bread. It's mentioned a couple times in there, isn't it? Yeah, there's a, there's, and there's a good chance that as he's talking about this, it's including the Lord's Supper, Sometimes we call it communion. Um, you can kind of see it set up even for today. Other, but, but it's also probably woven into a fellowship meal. It's, it's a, a broader meal that they're sharing together in fellowship uh, with each other. So definitely that's taking place there. Asher, look like you got something you want to point out. Yeah, that's a pretty big deal, isn't it? Yeah, when the boy, Eutychus, uh, fell out of the window, he died, but then God brought him back to life. That'll stir things up a little bit, wouldn't it? I'm just kind of watching everybody around the balcony right now, making sure everybody's secure. Dan, I don't want you leaning on the balcony while I'm talking here and falling asleep. <laughs> right? What else? Any, any other little things that you noticed as we read this? Yeah, yeah, like he, like he stepped into it, immediately responded to the crisis, and then back to business. Like it was like the, the, the bringing back the boy, Eutychus, from the dead took like one verse <laughs> out of these that we were, but then back at it, right? There's, there's stuff that we're doing here. Yeah. One, one or two others? Yeah, what do you got? Yeah, I'm not going to ask you to explain that more, <laughs> but I am going to notice who falls out of their chair <laughs> and I'm going to come and belly flop on you <laughs> just, just to make sure we're all good, <laughs> right? Yeah, like they're, they're, there's something really ordinary about it, isn't there? Like Paul is talking and uh, he's going on and on and on because he was going to be leaving. So we're catching Paul in the midst of his travels. And here's this, this stopover. He's there, but he's going to be leaving the next day. And so there's a lot that he is, is talking through with them at this moment. Um, it doesn't say it explicitly in this passage, but as we begin to line up some things, one of the things that we see in Paul's journey is this was probably maybe um, just after the time. Again, it's not explicitly said in here, so this is some extrapolation that he had just recently written what we have as the New Testament book of Romans. And as you know, Romans is a fairly robust text uh, for them to read. So it was written as a letter. So it was probably right around this time that he was writing that. So as we think about what Paul might have been preaching going on and on and on, imagine him kind of just coming out of having written Romans and now he's kind of talking that through with the people right there. 
You can imagine him going on and on and on and on, right? And uh, so there's something just really ordinary about what's going on here. Yeah, what do you got? Yeah. Right. Yeah, like he wasn't finished doing what the time was. He didn't want them to be distracted from what was going on as they gathered. And so he's, he's there and the kid comes back to life. Like that, that in itself would be fairly distracting to me. And, and even as Paul would begin preaching again, there's epitome like, Hello. Did you not see what just happened here? <laughs> but Paul jumps back in, going on right where he left off, like a good preacher would. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Todd. Similarity Absolutely, right. Yeah, so the, the, the similar healing, even in form to what we had seen uh, in the Old Testament, both Elijah and Elisha both raised a, um, a widow's son who had died. And uh, Elijah in particular kind of covered the body with his own body as a part of that process. You'll find those in uh, 1 Kings would be the Elijah one. And then um, 2 Kings uh, chapter 4 would be the Elisha one. And then even Jesus, uh, when he walked, um, he did a number of, of times that he healed uh, particularly a child. So there's Jairus' daughter. Uh, there was the daughter or, or the son of a widow. Jesus came upon the funeral processional. Uh, and Luke records both these for us, one in seven and one in eight, uh, chapter seven, chapter eight. And uh, he comes upon this funeral procession and speaks to the widow and says, don't, don't be alarmed. And then he, he raises the son from the dead. and says, here's your son back. And so uh, Paul is finding himself in the company of uh, the big dogs of the faith, Elisha, or Elijah, then Elisha, and of course, Jesus. And, and it's, it's no accident that Luke is recording this for us. He wants us to see that. He wants us to see that there's something that God is doing in and through Paul, even in its uniqueness, but definitely in its power that, that, um, that highlights his authority to say the things that he's saying. And so when we look at the letters that he wrote, again, coming out of this, uh, very, very in this time frame would have been Romans, would have been probably 2 Corinthians. So these are letters that carry authority, the weight of authority. And some might ask the question, how do you have that authority to say these things in this new fledgling church, this community of Jesus followers? And Luke highlights for us how he puts he he finds himself in the line of these prophets uh, of old, and then Jesus the Messiah himself. And so God is affirming his authority uh, to say what he's saying. Yeah, just one more. Oh. So we've got our own Eutychus in our midst. Yeah, so uh, you fell from a third store window, uh, a story window, and uh, while you broke your arms, did not, did not die, but God kind of brought healing to your body. 
we're grateful for that. Absolutely. So we're seeing these pieces come together. And, and did you notice you've got, um, you kind of talked about this, there, there's the ordinary, there, there's the stuff that the, the body does, and then there's this crisis moment that, that is really quite spectacular. And, and this is one of the pieces that I just couldn't get away from in looking at this uh, story that Luke recounts for us. It's this tension that exists between the ordinary and the spectacular, And so I want us to hold those things out a bit together this morning, the ordinary and the spectacular. Because when we look at the mission of God, the mission of God that continues, commissioned by Jesus to go into all the world, carrying the gospel of Jesus to all people, all nations, and we're seeing it spread here, Paul becomes a unique ambassador to the Gentiles, to all the non-Jew people. Uh, So he becomes a unique ambassador as God's mission continues. And what we see here is this mission, the mission of Jesus continues empowered by his spirit in both the ordinary and the spectacular. Sometimes we can find ourselves questioning our role in the mission, don't we? And we even wonder, like my life is is pretty unspectacular. My, My life is somewhat unremarkable. I just do the stuff that's in front of me to do. I'm, I'm not all that spectacular. I've never experienced God do the spectacular in front of me. So therefore, I'm not sure that the mission is like, am I really a part of the mission? Am, am I really a part of this or am I a bystander kind of cheering on, clapping as the runners go by, but I don't really get to run the race sometimes is what, what we can ask ourselves. Or, or we can find ourselves so inspired by the spectacular that, that we miss the ordinary in order to pursue the spectacular. And so our, our spiritual lives can be one moment of pursuing the spectacular after another. Sometimes we call them mountaintop experiences. Right? We go from one mountaintop experience to the next one. And even as we walk through the valley, we're dreaming of pursuing and chasing after the next mountaintop experience, leaving behind what God does in the midst of the ordinary. Right? So let's pay attention to these pieces as we explore this story together. Now, Luke is recounting this, uh, the epic journey of this mission. And as you think about epic journeys, most of the great movies are some version of epic journey. Do you realize that the Lord of the Rings movies came out like 20 years ago? Like after 2000, like you put it in your mind, adults, it put it in your mind that something occurred after 2000, but 20 years ago. That messes with my brain a little bit. It's like, well, yeah, it just came out a few years ago because we're like, what, 2003, 2004 right now? Like, here we are, 2023, and we lose track of time. So here's this, this story that came out. Of course, it was based on the books that are much older than the movies, but the movies were quite spectacular. And they highlight this epic journey. And these epic journeys uh, usually have a, a hero or a band of heroes, and there's a task that they must accomplish that, that they are uniquely able to accomplish. So Frodo was the one who had to deliver the ring into Mount Doom, return it from whence it came. This was 
is the epic journey, and the journey follows the, the trails and the ups and the downs, and, and we get glimpses of what this journey is over the course of three three-hour epic movies, right? So that's just one example of the epic journey. And so Luke is recording for us this epic journey. We get the twos and the fro's. And there's this commissioning that Paul carries uniquely to bring his, uh, the gospel of Jesus uh, to the Gentiles. And so how does he do that? And so Luke records kind of this epic journey for us. And in the midst of this epic journey, and this is why it's significant, like he's there uh, for a little bit of time, he's leaving the next day, he's got more journey. And it's like the, the, the drums beat a little bit more the closer he gets to Jerusalem. Because this epic journey is leading him to a, uh, a cosmic confrontation from the powers and principalities of this world that exercise dominion over the um, kind of the, the Jewish temple religious structure uh, amplified by the Pharisees and Sadducees. But he's also on his way to confront uh, the, the powers and principalities that animate uh, the power of empire with Caesar. And so Paul is a faithful Jew, a, uh, a trained Pharisee himself. He is also a Roman citizen. And so we see Paul in these places call on his Roman citizenship, not as a protection for himself, but to demand an audience before Caesar. And his desire for the audience before Caesar, again, is not self-protection or self-justification. He claims his rights as Roman citizen that he might stand before the power of empire and proclaim the gospel of Jesus. Jesus is Lord. And so this is where the journey is taking him. And so Luke does this, but then he kind of zeroes in the close-up look that we get here in chapter 20 of what's going on in the midst of this epic journey. A lot of times we get, he was here for three months and then he journeyed on. He was here for 18 months and then he journeyed on. But in this moment, we're getting an up-close look because it's, it's in the midst of this journey that he's showing us what are the rhythms of this life? What is the ordinariness of this epic journey? And so whether it's in the macro that we see this, or even in the micro of the story that we just read, we're holding out the ordinary and the spectacular, and we're exploring those things together. And these themes that are, are developed here, so we see this story. It's a gathering, like normal. It's, it's, it's ordinary. It's an ordinary gathering. But in the midst of this ordinary gathering, this young guy uh, we don't know exactly how old he is. A, a young man could be teenager, could be on the young end of teenager, could be kind of working age. We're not sure. But this young guy uh, falls asleep during the message. That seems pretty ordinary, doesn't it? Like that's, that's reasonable. Some of you are poking yourself even right now. So that's, that's a reasonable, ordinary thing to have happen. And then he falls out the window and dies. That's horrible. But Paul raises him back to life. He says, don't worry, he's alive. And then he heads back inside to continue preaching. There's, there's more to the gathering, the fellowship meal, the, the more preaching and this last admonition before he leaves. And so it's like a, um, a spectacular sandwich. There's some ordinary, a little bit of spectacular with some cheese and mayo, and then more ordinary and this is what we're looking at here as we hold these things out together. 
And so what we see in this is that the spectacular is enveloped by the ordinary. The spectacular is enveloped by the ordinary. We might have these Instagram visions of what the Christian life looks like. You know what I mean by the Instagram visions? Like Instagram, it's just where people put their best self forward. This is oftentimes the ideal, idealized version of life. And so we can have an idealized vision of Christianity. So much so that we forget that it's lived out in the ordinary. The incredible ordinary. And yet we see that God does the spectacular. The spectacular breaks in. So we see this spectacular enveloped by the ordinary. We also see this life and death. They're they're held up here. Life and death hold center stage in this story. And it's a reminder for us, Luke recounts this for us, because it's a reminder that this, this mission, this gospel mission that we're watching unfold throughout Acts is a life and death mission. And the gospel of Jesus is a life and death message being proclaimed for all people. And so in this story, as quirky as it is, what's being held out before us is not only ordinary and spectacular, but life and death. And what will we do with those things? And so let's look at the ordinary for a few minutes here. What was ordinary? One of the things that we're seeing here, and keep in mind that as we look at what's happening, uh, it's not um, prescriptive. Let's let's not read it as if uh, Luke is saying, this is what you must do. Um, But it is descriptive. It's showing us what's happened. What what is happening here? And it's revealing to us how this early church, this movement of Jesus' followers, were, were settling into various rhythms, things that were seemingly important to them. And so if it's important to them... Well, goodness, isn't that something we should pay attention to ourselves? Because it's probably important for us to pay attention to. And so what are the things that it's inviting us to, to notice and to pay attention? Well, one of those is the gathering. Like, there, there, there was gathering. There was a gathering took place. Verse 7, on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. And so we're seeing... That at this point in the maturing notion of the church, uh, there was a, some sort of regularity to their routine. We, we gathered on the first day of the week. It's not telling us that's the only time they gathered, but they gathered on the first day of the week. And by this point, again, the, the, the scholars are um, not completely united, but they're, they're pretty united. And this was most likely on like a, a Sunday, Sunday. So the work had been done and they're coming into what is emerging as a regular pattern of rhythm on the first day of the week. It's also revealing for us that Christianity is communal in nature. Christianity is communal in its nature. Uh, the, the, The gathering is not incidental to faithfulness to Jesus. 
There's something important, like out of everything that had filtered its way down, by this point, the gathering is an important piece to this, revealing Christianity is communal in nature. And what that does for us is it pushes against our individualism. We live with this rugged individualism that it's, it's me and Jesus walking down a road and, and we might happen to be around other people or if it's a little bit of seizing on the side, we'll be in community, but it's really just about me and Jesus. Um, it pushes on that. It pushes on that. Now, are we saved by the community that we're a part of? No, but... Uh, the, the working of salvation in Christ through the power of his spirit draws a body together. It's communal in nature and it pushes against the individualism of our day. This gathering is the heart that pumps the blood of the church. The gathering is the heart that pumps the blood of the church. It's, it's crucial to the vibrancy, to the life of what it means to be us. And so we see in this ordinary, the gathering. Those rhythms are important. And I know some of you are, are watching online and, and we do this to serve you because you can't get out of your, your house. Like you're, there's some health stuff going on or maybe you're just not physically able to do it at this point. So we love being able to do that. But if you're online um, and you're able, we'd love to have you be in person. And, and if you're unable, uh, you've even remarked to me that it's really hard to not be with people. Like, I'm glad that I get to be a part of the service through this, but it's not the same as being together. There's something about the gathering of the church that's just really important. It's meaningful. It's, it's good in its essence. And, and in the gathering, we see a couple of things that seem to take preeminence, and one of those is the teaching. Paul is teaching. Like I said, it very well might have been sort of his, his contents that we see in the letter to the Romans or the Second Corinthians. So these are, are places that he is teaching this church that's in front of him. Uh, the language that's used here with Paul's teaching alludes to both, uh, there were moments of monologue, but there were also moments of dialogue. So this is the nature of what's happening there. Now today we don't have Paul speaking to us directly verbally like they did in this setting, but we have his teachings recorded. We have the scriptures, both Old and New Testament, that reveal God's work to redeem the world. And they are wisdom literature that draws us more fully into the life that he is drawing us into through the power of his spirit. And so we study scripture. We, we seek to understand scripture. The proclamation of good news through the scripture is central to what happens as we gather. Today we get this gift of the scriptures. And even the scriptures are communal in nature. I had a great conversation uh, just last week. I had a guy stop me back by the doors over here and he just, he asked me a question and honestly I didn't know the answer to the question. I was like, oh, I'm not sure. And so he said, well, here's why the question came up. And so he told me the circumstance, like, oh, that actually even helps me better understand. And so I think as I, we can draw on this part of teaching in scripture, I think this would speak to that. Maybe not using those specific words of your question, but it, it speaks to the stuff that you're, it's like, oh yeah, okay, I see that now. And, and that helps me better understand uh, this specific question that I had over the course of the last week. And I'm, I'm not going to the details. I didn't have his permission to share the details of the story. But I was just so struck walking away from that conversation. This is how scripture actually works. 
hey, there's something that I've been thinking about from what I've been reading and listening in scripture. What do you think about that? And, and help me better understand it because I'm not sure how it works. And that we together get to wrestle with these things because this is what scripture invites us to do. It invites the wrestling. It invites the questions. It invites the, wait a minute, it just says this, but I thought back here it said that. It actually invites that kind of exploration. We so often have a picture that scripture is supposed to be all buttoned up, like our physics textbook, when the scripture is ancient Middle Eastern wisdom literature that draws us into it through the wrestling, through the questionings. And this is actually what we do together in community. We wrestle with things. We notice things. We pay attention to things. We challenge each other. We go, no, 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 no. I think that's actually flying off the deep end and getting off the rails on this because scripture is this and here's how we understand these things. We learn from each other in scripture. Scripture is a communal thing that draws us into the life that God offers us through his son, Jesus. It's the work that he's been doing. So we see this teaching being a regular part of the rhythm. And then he talks about this breaking of bread. Tim, I think you talked a bit about that, that whole notion of breaking bread. And when scripture is talking about breaking bread, a part of that is what we've come to know as the Lord's Supper, but it was most often combined with what would be called a love feast or a fellowship feast. Now, if we put out, if we put out the flyers that said, love feast, Sunday at 10, a lot of us here would go, that's a little weird. A love feast, like there's a bunch of hippie dippy stuff going on. No offense to hippies. Um, but, uh, you know, is this like, what's going on here? Is this like we're all like twirling around and let's like, like it would feel weird to us. But to them, it wasn't weird. It was, it was a part of this feasting together. It was recognizing God's provision, his abundance, uh, the communal nature, the communal nature of, of food, of sharing a meal, of sitting at a table together. Listen to Psalm chapter 23, one that we're so familiar with. What does David talk about? He sets the table before me in the presence of my enemies. Like there's something the good shepherd does that draws him into the presence. Enemies become become people that we fellowship with. That's just unheard of in how God goes about what he does. And so the meal, the sharing of this meal becomes really important. Now we've whittled it down to a little styrofoam cracker and a little you know, demitas of juice or something like that. But, but it's often tied into this whole notion of love feast. And so when they talk about breaking bread, that's what they're doing. They're feasting together. They're enjoying a meal together. A crucial element of which is remembering the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so here they are. They came, they gather on the first day of the week. There's the teaching, there's the breaking of bread to remember the death and resurrection of Jesus. What do they see happening there? You to guess falls out the window, the death, Paul, gotcha, he's alive, the resurrection. Like they're seeing it happen. It's this life and death story that's get told in real time right in front of them, right? And so, uh, so this is all these things that are playing out, this fellowship meal, the Lord's Supper. And so what we see is there's the, the ordinary, normal rhythms of faithfulness. And the mission is advanced through the ordinary, through the ordinary rhythms of faithfulness. But into that breaks the spectacular. As you were talking about Todd, when 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 
Paul does this. He's putting himself in line with um, the prophets that had come before. So it's, it's authority is being revealed here. It's the life of God being revealed here. Like God is life out of death. It's the nature of the gospel. That life comes from death. Paul will talk about that in his letters, in a number of his letters, about you must die to yourself that Christ might come more fully alive to you. It's the nature of how it works, and we're seeing that play out here in spectacular fashion. So the spectacular breaks into the ordinary. And if we're not careful, we're going to miss what God is doing. Maybe we neglect the ordinary in search of the spectacular. Come on, Sunday mornings, 9 o'clock, 10.45, we sit here, some music, some prayers, some talk. It seems pretty ordinary, doesn't it? And this comes after we watch the NFL. Da, 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 da. This comes after we go to this, you know, the, the Swifty concert at Gillette Stadium, this world, and the lights and the swirling and the coming up out of the stage and all the things that were spectacular. And we go, this seems awful ordinary. Ugh. Yeah, listen. In our search for the spectacular, we can miss the beautiful rhythms of faithfulness in the ordinary. And sometimes we miss the spectacular because we're afraid of what that means. And so we box ourselves in by the ordinary. We say, well, God doesn't do this or that could never happen or the spectacular will never be. There. So I'm, I'm kept safe by the ordinary and we miss the spectacular out of fear. We have fear of the supernatural, which closes our eyes to the work of God among us. We fear pain. Do you know the only way that Eutychus comes back from the dead? Like that's the story that he gets to bank on for the rest of his life. Like, I'm sure that it, in the newspaper, he's got interviews. He started a podcast. This is the guy, right? And the only way that, that happens, he gets to tell that story is if he falls out a window and dies. Like, there's pain that begins this. Every miracle begins with pain. And we're afraid of pain. We're afraid of suffering. And in our ability to fabricate our own blessing to keep away the pain, we miss the spectacular where God can do what only God can do. So our fear can trap us in the ordinary. What is it that you wrestle with as we hold out the ordinary and the spectacular? What does it look like in your life? I want to wrap up our time here by throwing out some big three for you. All right, what's a big three for us? One, your life matters to the mission. Don't miss this. Your life matters to the mission. If you find yourself going, my life is just too ordinary. I get up, I go to work, I come home, I make dinner, I go to the soccer game, I go to bed, I do it again the next day. My life is just too ordinary. Your life matters to the mission. The challenge is to cultivate healthy rhythms of faithfulness. Cultivate healthy rhythms of faithfulness. 
the gathering, the teaching the word, the fellowship and the breaking of bread, the remembrance of the death and resurrection of Jesus that anchors our life of faithfulness. And then open yourself up to the spectacular. Don't be afraid. In the midst of sorrow and pain, that's what, why we need each other to bolster each other, to remind each other, to be present with each other in moments of sorrow and pain. And we open our eyes to see, what, see God do what only God can do. And sometimes it is as spectacular as what we see here with Brother Eutychus. And other times it's in these small, subtle ways that we see the hand of God move, bringing victory over sorrow, bringing life from disease and death. Your life matters. Cultivate healthy rhythms and open yourself up to the spectacular and see what God will do. Let me pray for us. Jesus, show us the way. Teach us to meet with you in the ordinary rhythms of faithfulness. Keep our hearts soft and eyes open to see the spectacular where you do what only you can do. Your provision for those in need, your healing for those who are sick, your comfort for those who are grieving, life for those who are lost. We celebrate you and honor you. Meet with us in these ordinary moments and show us who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're gonna have a feast. Okay, it's a little cracker and a cup of juice. But it's a part of a feast. It's the Lord's Supper. It's communion that we celebrate together and remember the death and resurrection of our Lord. You don't need to be a member of Centerpoint Church to participate with the Lord's Supper. You do need to be in relationship with Jesus by his grace. If you have received his forgiveness and are, have received his life, then you are welcome to the table. If you haven't made that decision yet, that's not where you're at. I don't want to ask you to do something that's not consistent with who you are. Feel free to let the tray go right on by. And he's going to look at you weird. I love that you're here exploring, figuring it out, wrestling with. But again, don't want to ask you to do something that's not consistent with where you're at on your epic journey. But for those of us who are his, we gather at the table and we remember. As the team passes the trays by, take the cracker, take the cup. If you'd hold it for a moment, I'm going to be back in just a minute. And we're going to receive it together as the body of Christ. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was celebrating a meal, a Passover meal with his disciples. It was a meal to remember and celebrate God's rescue from slavery in Egypt generations before. And notice what Jesus did in that moment. He wrote himself into that story, the one who would rescue God's people, not from slavery in Egypt, but from slavery to their sin. And he did so by saying, as he broke the bread, this is my body broken for you. He said, remember me every time you eat this together. So take it, eat it, and remember him. By his brokenness, we are made whole. And then he took the cup. As they each drank from it, he said, this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant, a new way to relate with God, to be his people. 
not a covenant of law, which leads ultimately to death, but a covenant of grace that invites into his love, which gives life, life now and life forever. So his life, given that we might have life, take it and drink it. And let's pause and give him thanks. Jesus, Messiah, Lord, King, thank you. Out of your goodness, you have rescued us from that which ensnares us beyond our control. And you have freed us by your power through your brokenness, through your shed blood, that we might have life. Thank you. Receive our thanks. Receive our praise. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and honor God for his goodness and worship him as his people. Of the goodness of God. 
has poured out his goodness. And as a people that bears the mark of his goodness, we are a, a gathered people. There's something that God is doing here, even in the ordinary rhythms of faithfulness. Those ordinary rhythms draw us into space like this, where we gather and worship. Those ordinary rhythms, rhythms of faithfulness draw us into places where we serve those around us. It may not make marquees, may not feel all that spectacular, but those of you who serve our kids, who serve our students, who serve us in ways that we can see and ways that we don't even see, to foster this healthy gathering, those are part of the rhythms that he draws us into, rhythms of faithfulness. This is who God is. It's what he draws us into. If you're here today and you've never made the decision to follow Jesus, to be a part of his new life and you want to know that new life, life out of death, you can do that today. God, our prayer team is gonna be right up here. They'd love to pray with you. You just come up and say, I wanna give my life to Jesus. They're gonna take it from there that you might know new life today. Just like Eutychus, once we're dead and now alive, it's the story of Jesus for each of us. It's the invitation of Jesus for each of us. If there's any other reason we can pray for you, we'd love to be able to do that too before you go home. Otherwise, walk out into, these wor into this world, oh, you ordinary people, doing ordinary things and walking in the spectacular mission of God in our day. May you walk with him. May you know his peace. May you know his love. May you know his abiding presence through his spirit as you go. Thanks for being here. Take a little bit to stop and reflect on what God might be saying to you and how you'll respond to him today. Wherever you are on your journey of faith, we are here to serve you. Find us at centerpointnh.org and join us on the journey of living and sharing a life-changing relationship with Jesus.